Hi, folks. It's Rabbi Sharon Brous here. You are listening to Ikar's podcast, where you can hear our sermons from Shabbat and holidays, our guest speakers, our teachers, anything we think worth listening to that we can capture, you can hear right here. Thank you so much for being with us. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. We have come a long way. This week, the first woman, the first Black woman, the first South Asian American, South Asian American woman was sworn in as Vice President of the United States. And that's not the only first of this week. We now have the first ever all-female presidential communications team. A Black preacher and a Jew were sworn in as senators from Georgia, the heart of the Confederacy, for many years a bastion of anti-Black racism and anti-Semitism. In the days ahead, we are likely going to see the most diverse cabinet in U.S. history with people of all racial, gender, and sexual orientation backgrounds. We're going to see the first publicly out LGBTQ cabinet secretary, the first Latino to lead the Department of Health and Human Services, the first Native American to serve as interior secretary. Think of what that means. The first Black man to lead the United States Environmental Protection Agency the first woman, first Jewish woman to serve as treasury secretary, the first openly transgender federal official as assistant secretary of health. And that's not all. 22-year-old Amanda Gorman helped us see this week that even as we grieved, we grew. Even as we hurt, we hoped. Even as we tired, we tried. And that there's always light if only we're brave enough to see it, if only we're brave enough to be it. The president of the Navajo Nation and his wife were invited to offer their blessing at the national inaugural prayer service. And Bishop Barber preached the need for a third reconstruction, addressing the interlocking devastations of poverty, racism, ecological devastation, and a false moral narrative of religious nationalism. And that didn't happen on the sidelines. That was the main show. And on his very first day, the president rejoined the Paris Climate Agreement. So yes, we've come a long way. It was a good week. It was a good week for those who care about justice, for those who yearn for a more fair, equitable, just, and loving America. But I have to tell you today that we are not there yet. As I've been saying a lot these past few weeks, we are standing in this moment at an inflection point. We are on a journey toward redemption. We can feel the change in our bodies this week. And now we have to resist the urge to rest because we're not there yet. Our work is not yet done. And what we do now matters profoundly. I wanna tell you a story today, a very old story, which I believe holds up a mirror to the moral challenges that we are facing in our time. This story comes from Parshat Bo, from the book of Exodus, chapter 10. Moses and Aaron are standing before Pharaoh, and after hundreds of years of enslavement, degradation, and humiliation, their demand is bold and it is unequivocal. Let my people go. Shlach ami v'avaduni. Let my people go so that they may serve me, God says. Now, Pharaoh is a stubborn man. 
but his advisors are starting to pick up on the clues and understand where this is all going. After seven terrible plagues, each one taking a brutal toll on the Egyptian people, devastating the morale of this empire, Pharaoh's advisors beg Pharaoh to let go of his grasp on power. It's over, they say. Let the men go. And somehow their words pierce Pharaoh's armor, which kind of makes you wonder what would have happened if they had spoken up sooner? What would have happened had they shown some hint of integrity or moral concern? Could they have avoided the enslavement in the first place? Would those babies have had to drown in the sea? Surely it would have taken longer to build those fine cities of Ramses and Pitom, but perhaps Pharaoh would have been remembered more favorably by history. But they didn't speak out before, they spoke out now. And in any case, that is literally ancient history. Today, they spoke and it worked. Fine, Pharaoh says, you can go, some of you. Give me the names of those who will be leaving. No, Moses says. Maybe you didn't hear me the first seven times. All of us will go. Not only the leaders, not only the men, but everyone, young and old sons and daughters with our flocks and with our herds. These are the conditions of our release. Until all of us are free, Moses explains, we are none of us free. I want for us to think for a minute about those men, those Israelite men who were offered the chance for a moment to escape the hellscape of Egyptian bondage after all those years. But they say, no, we're in this together. We will not take the privilege that we're offered if it means that some of our family will remain behind in bondage. And of course, Pharaoh cannot accept such radical conditions. And the eighth plague, the plague of the locust swarm descends, God's hand against the empire. The force of the plague was unmatched in a kind of reverse or inverted creation story. Every single tree, every blade of grass, every field, every green thing in all the land is devoured by locusts. And Pharaoh is momentarily chastened. He rushes out the door to find Moses and Aaron to beg them to make it stop. It almost sounds like tshuva, what Pharaoh says. For a moment, he sounds very presidential. I made a mistake, he said. Please forgive me. Just make the plague end. Our rabbis pick up on the language. It says, It says, he hastened to meet them. He rushed out to meet them. And they asked, well, why the rush? And here the 16th century Italian commentator Sforno teaches us what Pharaoh saw. He saw that the locusts had destroyed everything above ground, every bit of green in the land. And he knew he had to rush to reach Moses and Aaron before they also destroyed the underground roots of wheat and spelt and plants that they would have devoured as well. So Pharaoh finally recognized that he did something wrong. And his fiercest desire in that moment was to mute the impact of the punishment. We've suffered enough already. Lessons learned, let's move on. If you go at the roots of the problem, that will spoil the chance of a future return to greatness. I have to tell you 
that Moses is compelled by Pharaoh's pleas. Maybe he too gets a little bit swept up momentarily in the desire to just move on already. We've all been through so much. Let's look to the future. So Moses goes back to God and he begs God. He begs and pleads on Pharaoh's behalf. And God listens. God creates a powerful west wind that pushes all of those locusts out to sea. But we, the readers of this story, we know that it's not over. Because as soon as the threat of real consequences is lifted, even momentarily, that stubborn king is back to his cruelties. Pharaoh decides against liberating the Israelites after all. And it's then that the plague of darkness hits. A darkness so thick, so tangible, that the people are paralyzed by it, frozen in terror, broken wide open. And once again, this pain awakens Pharaoh's conscience or at least his strategic awareness. Go, he says, go, you and your children. Take nothing else with you, but just go. All the people can leave. Just get out of here. Think about that for a minute. Given how this people had suffered, how brutal, how unrelenting the taskmasters had been, how the enslavement broke their bodies and their spirits, shamed their elders, tortured their little ones, wouldn't you think at this point they would just get up and go? But Moses stands before Pharaoh and says, no way, we're not going anywhere without our livestock. And by the way, you're going to provide us with zvachim v'olots, with sacrifices and burnt offerings too. After all, how else will we serve God in the desert? Really? We ask, really? Not only are we insisting on our, our, our men and our women and our children and our livestock, but we're expecting them to give us the stuff to sacrifice too? Yeah because Moses understands something about liberation. Moses understands that for justice to be served, we have to be released, not broken and broke, desperate and dependent. From this place, we have to leave with our dignity. We need and we deserve to be rightly compensated for our many years of slave labor and abuse. Friends, what our ancestors are demanding in this Parsha is reparations for their enslavement. There is no justice without accountability. You can't lie and cheat and steal and then turn the page on history. First, justice must be done. And you know what's going to happen next in this story. Pharaoh isn't looking for a real reckoning. He wants a temporary fix. He just wants to move on. He wants to talk about healing. He wants to start a new chapter. He finds the demand for real justice to be an audacious overreach. What he doesn't realize is that there is no temporary fix when it comes to injustice, to the dehumanization and desecration of human beings who were created in God's own image. Pharaoh fails to realize that this is his chance. The oppressive supremacist ideology itself must be eradicated so that justice can truly be served for there to be any future for Egypt. Had he made a different choice on that day, he could have saved many lives and written a very different story for his people and for ours. He may have been the first, but he surely would not be the last to be blinded by power and privilege.
And so there's one last plague. It's the most punishing and horrific of all. The Lord says to Moses, I will bring one more plague upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here indeed. And when he lets you go, it will be complete. He will drive you out of there. It will be complete. Our freedom will be won. We will achieve the redemption that we seek. Do you hear what I'm saying today? Moses could have brought the people out of enslavement sooner. Again and again, he was given the opportunity to go, but he insisted on more. He knew that the people needed more. He knew they deserved more. Justice isn't greedy. It's necessary. And that final plague came and it devastated Egypt. It punished not only the adults, but the children, the roots of the future. It's hard for us to stomach this part of the story. But what's clear is what they're trying to teach us, that supremacy and human cruelty must not be accommodated. They must be eradicated. That's the only way to deal with supremacist ideologies. This is the birth of the prophetic imperative to uproot injustice. Justice is not the absence of oppression. It is the presence of dignity. It's been a really good week. The pace of this week is head spinning. Science and medicine are once again at the heart of decisions regarding public health policy. Experts in education are now the people making decisions about the best ways to keep our kids learning and healthy physically and emotionally. Governing officials look a lot more like America this week than they did last week. We're giving ourselves one last shot at saving our precious earth. And all of that is wonderful. And I thank God that I live to see what we saw this past week. But the work is not nearly done. We're not ready yet to turn a corner on the past, not just yet. The dream of a new America, a justice-driven multiracial democracy can be realized only once we recognize like Moses did, that everyone, everyone must be lifted up in this era. Only once we start to really believe that we belong to one another. As long as there are millions of parents in this country who are putting their children to bed with empty bellies, as long as 10 million people right now in this country fear eviction from their homes in the midst of a pandemic, as long as we or our neighbors fear for our safety, as long as we invest more in our prisons than in our schools, as long as the heresy of white supremacy remains the unspoken driving force behind our systems and structures and institutions, the work is not yet done. So breathe well this Shabbat. We have come a long way, but I beg you to remember as you do, in the new world that we are building, there is room for every person, but not every idea. Kohelet, Ecclesiastes teaches, to everything there's a season, a time for every purpose under heaven a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot what has been planted. A lot of toxic ideas have been planted in this land and they have been nurtured and fed over centuries. This has led to generations of violence and cruelty, oppression and suppression. The roots run deep and they threaten to corrupt the whole harvest. We, we are planters, we're not destroyers. 
And yet this is the time to uproot injustice and the ideologies that justify it. This will not be over until the malignancies of racism, misogyny, and greed are uprooted from our hearts, from our Congress, from our institutions. And until then, until that moment, all of us are called to the work, called to dismantle racism and break the machinery of fear and division. All of us called to lift up a vision for a new America built on love, rooted in justice, and propelled by our moral imagination. I wish you all Shabbat Shalom. Hi, it's Mayim Bialik, actor, neuroscientist, ECAR member, and lover of all things Jewish. Do you like what you're listening to? Please consider donating to ECAR so that we can continue creating more podcasts and fulfilling our mission of harnessing untapped energy in the Jewish community to reanimate Jewish life, embody moral courage, nurture the spirit, and work to decipher what it means to be a human being in the world today. Why don't you visit our website at ecar-la.org and give today.